Notice anything different? That's right. No ad. Which means this space is available. So if you have a company or brand or product or anything really that you'd love to promote on 30 Pop, this is your chance. Just shoot me an email at the link in the show notes and I'll give you all the relevant details. Now, on to 30 Pop. Hi, Mom. What you doing? I'm just working on the first episode of 30 Pop. Oh, cool. And How can I help? Well, I want to put a disclaimer on the front of the episode to let people know if they have kids nearby or if you are near them. There's some language in this episode that it's just maybe better in headphones. So I guess I'm just calling to tell you, hey, Mom, there's some language in this episode of 30 Pop that you just you might not like. So what you're saying is don't listen? I'm just saying manage your expectations. Okay. Is All that right. like a lot of language or a little? Everyone you know, else? I'll tell you this. I bleeped out the F words, but there's Thank a couple you. other words that you're probably not going to like, but they're in there. Okay. But I bleeped those specifically for you. So when you hear those bleep sounds, just imagine those with like, gift wrap and a bow on top because I did that for you. Oh, thank you. I wouldn't be offended because you have the other ones out too, but you know. Well, I have my limits, so. Okay. All right. Well, I'm very excited to hear it. All right. Well, it's going to start right now. Oh, wonderful. Oh, good luck with it. I hope you have a ton of listeners. Thanks, Mom. I love you. I love you too. Bye. Bye. From Mill U Media Group, this is 30 Pop, a weekly peek back at the music, movies, sports, fashion, politics, and news from 30 years ago. I'm your host, Luke Bronner. This is Season 1, Episode 1, The Most Triumphant Adventure Begins. Today, we're looking at the week that ended Saturday, February 18, 1989. Hello, friends, and welcome to the very first episode of 30 Pop. This show has been a long time coming, and I'm so glad it's finally here. Each week, with the help of a rotating cast of friends and fellow podcasters, I'll be turning the clock back 30 years to look at the pop culture highlights from that week in history. So for the rest of 2019, we'll be examining the year 1989. We'll typically zoom in on one or two major events from the week and see how they've held up over time. So today, we're looking back at the week ending February 18th, 1989. To give you a feel for what was happening in the world at the time, Bobby Brown's breakout sophomore solo album, Don't Be Cruel, had just reclaimed the number one spot on the Billboard music charts for the fourth week, after being bested the week prior by the anomalous return of Guns N' Roses' 1987 release, Appetite for Destruction. But we'll jump into both of those albums more next week. The number one single on the Billboard charts this week was Paula Abdul's Straight Up, which we'll also cover pretty extensively next week. The number one movie at the box office was the quirky Tom Hanks classic The Burbs, which released on February 17th. And as much as I've grown to love that movie over the years, that's not the release we're discussing today. Another major movie released on February 17th of 89, and I sat down with a couple of my favorite folks, actor and filmmaker Aaron Hale, and high school algebra teacher and brewer of excellent beer, Nick Willard, to talk about it in a segment we call Film Depreciation. (laughs) 
Okay, so I'm sitting here with two of my dearest friends in the world. Aaron Hale, welcome to the show. Thanks. Thanks for having me. And Nick Willard. Nick, welcome to the show. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Aaron, you specifically, <laughs> I wanted to be on this episode because 30 years ago yesterday, mm. as of the release of this episode, was the release of one of the most iconic films of our childhood, Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. And one of my favorite movies of all time. And you love that movie as much as anybody I've ever known. Yes, I do. The three of us just sat and watched the show, but Nick, you hadn't seen it in, you said, like 20 plus years. Yeah. So you were still a teenager at the most when you saw this movie. Yeah. How old were you, Aaron, when this came out? I was six. You were six years old. So February 17th of 1989, you're six years old. Nick, how old were you? I would have been eight. You were eight. I was nine. Okay. Did everybody see it when you were young? I know I did. Yes. I didn't see it until later. That's interesting. That may be why you don't feel the attachment that we feel. Right. Because I can't imagine that it held up for very long. <laughs> right, right. Without any sentimental attachment. So, Aaron, why don't you, for folks who maybe have not seen this movie or haven't seen it in a long time, why don't you give us sort of a synopsis of the show? All right. The official logline for Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure on imdb.com says, Two seemingly dumb teens set off on a quest to prepare the ultimate historical presentation with the help of a time machine. The help of a time machine. I love yes. the helpful time machine. <laughs> yeah. So I think, you know, part of the image that people need to have in their brain, the time machine is a phone booth, which is interesting because it's sent back 700 years in yeah, time. Yeah, but they're sending it back to look like something from the 80s. The point of this show, though, is to see how these things hold up for people okay. who maybe didn't yeah. grow up with them. And I just can't imagine that that would be a, an item that they... I wish phone booths existed today. <laughs> Probably because of this movie, honestly. Okay. I love them. Between this movie and Superman, I mean... And Doctor Who. So that logline, you feel like that captures it? Yeah, I think it's great. Other than the fact that it says dumb teens, I don't think they're dumb. Seemingly dumb. It says dumb. Seemingly, seemingly dumb. dumb. Right, seemingly yeah, they're definitely dumb. seemingly dumb. Yes, they are. They uh, seem dumb because they and, sound like surfer guys. Yeah, yeah, and they're played to perfection. I mean, by Keanu you said Reeves this and Alex several Winter. times as we watched the film, that this is the role that Keanu was born to play. Oh, uh, yeah. yes. Okay, so we've got these two teenage like metalheads. The fashion in the movie is spectacular and, oh, and like Bring so that representative. Shit back. I mean, seriously. So I got, want to dress like them. So we've got Keanu Reeves yeah. in like basically capri pants. His <laughs> yeah. shorts are so long, but they're and like sweatpants cut off. A with Van like Halen T-shirt with a black vest over it. That's so good, and a bright orange denim jacket tied around oh, his waist. The best, and the long shaggy mop head. Yeah. And then you've got Bill S. Preston, Esquire, who is played by, what's his name? <laughs> Alex Winter. Alex Winter, who's wearing this <laughs> bare midriff gray sweatshirt. God, he looks good. His hair is so good. <laughs> oh His hair is was, so good. Did people really wear that in 1989? I don't like, know. Clearly they did. There was did. nothing strange about it when I saw it. It was just like, oh, they dress so cool. Yeah, he had a hand-drawn cool. stallion on the back of his shirt. Right. Because the two of them play in a band sort of Man, he called was so Wild cool. Stallions. He has kind of a James Dean thing going, Bill. Whoa, what on earth are Bill, you talking about? not Ted, Bill. I Bill understand neither of them have a James yeah, Dean thing he going. Was... Do you know who James Dean is? Yes, he looked a little like James Dean. I don't think James Dean ever showed his midriff. <laughs> if he did, it would have looked like Bill's. <laughs> Which, by the way, Alex Winter is a really great so Alex documentary Winter filmmaker now. is for you how you imagine James Dean. No, I think they're similar. If I you think, could see him without a shirt. Look, this is it. I would say James Dean, <laughs> maybe not in this order or like that these are the only Is this three. your list? Is, no, no, no. is this your... <laughs> 
<laughs> is this your free pass list? <laughs> Celebrities, my wife will let me f- <laughs> James Dean, <laughs> Alex, Winter. Alex Winter, James Franco. Oh, they're very, they're all very similar. Regardless, it doesn't. It just let's move on. Okay, so you have this incredible sentimental attachment to this movie. Yeah, mostly as Keanu do Reeves. I. But I would love to hear, like, what is it about this movie that resonates so deeply for you? It's really hard to pinpoint. I know I saw this in the theater as a kid, and it must have just been at a really forming time. I don't know. Like I, the tender as a, age of six. Yeah, I just was enthralled by these two guys, and I loved their relationship. There was something about the buddies. They were very close and like they both thought the dude's mom was hot which she was which i did not pick up on until i watched it this time i don't remember picking up yeah. on like dude thinks his stepmom is hot i don't know that yeah i probably didn't either it definitely was forming to me ever since i saw it i told my wife this the other day i have a very strange <laughs> love for 80s and 90s surf culture for example I don't know. Okay, the Nintendo game, it had a surfing gorilla. His name was Thrilla Gorilla. There were two or three different characters. One was like a tiki guy. Okay. One Anyway, I love everything about that. I don't know what... It, maybe part of it is like my love for Michelangelo, the Ninja Turtle. I just... Something about... I love all of that. The way they speak, the way they dress. Okay. I want to do that today. You sort of have that going on. With the wave in my hair. Well, and just the way you talk. I mean, you're... Is that... You think so? <laughs> Bogus. Was it TNC Surf Design? Mm, yes. That's it, yeah. Do you remember that game? No, I don't. You could surf or you could skateboard. And you know what else I love about like late 80s or any 80s... Hopefully it's connected to Bill and Ted, but yeah, go ahead. Yeah, <laughs> it is. Because something about movies back then that took place in high school, every high school looked so cool. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, for sure. Mm. I never went to a school like these. Well, you didn't go to high school in the 80s. That is that is true. They took it downhill. So let's talk about filmmaking in the 80s. It was a time when, first of all, time travel is a huge deal because we've already had the first couple of, well, I guess 89 is when we get the second Back to the Future movie. Yeah. But like, we've already had this like whole new world opened up to us about a DeLorean being a time machine. Now we have a phone booth that's a time machine. The other thing is, it's a time when two guys can play an air guitar and it makes sound and it like not be a strange thing. It was just it like was a quirky funny. little fun yeah, thing. I love it. Yeah. I wish that I could do that now. But you don't see that sort of thing in filmmaking now. It's like yeah. films take themselves way too seriously, which I, I mean, I love. I'm, yeah. But yeah, it was, was a magical a, time. Yeah, where every film had someone named Corey in it. <sighs> and it was very specific and... You can pick an 80s movie out of a lineup so easy. Yeah. The style was just so bizarre. It really was. It was so, so strange. So there were some interesting things, I think, in this movie with the way that they sort of play with the space-time continuum Yeah, that make zero sense yeah. whatsoever. Yeah, but there's also some pretty smart ones, too. There are. So let's talk about some of those. Kay. First being the keys. Yeah, the key, toward the end of the movie, Ted is looking. his dad's looking for his keys through the whole movie. His dad, who is a police officer. Yes, he's a police officer, and he's very strict, and he wants to send Ted off to Alaska to a military, a military school. school. Yeah. So there's this part at the end. It's the first time that the time travel thing actually is kind of smart. Yeah. 
but they don't show any of it. It's which also I would argue is actually pretty smart. They right. don't have to show any of it. They just say, "Hey, remind me later to go back in time and take my dad's keys." You know that kind of thing, right? Or and then it all works out. Don't forget to wind your watch. Yeah, right. And how am I going to distract my dad? And then you hear the recording. Hey, dad. Right. <laughs> or there's so like a message for them on the typewriter. Right. <laughs> yeah. But it doesn't show them type that message for the next people. It, exactly. They just leave it. You can either say that's lazy writing or that oh, is Oh, no, it's clever. Brilliant it's so writing. clever. But it, but it absolutely makes zero sense. <laughs> yeah. That's all I'm getting at. Yeah. Okay. So I want to talk about, with you specifically, I want to talk about your three favorite lines. My favorite, three favorite lines. From this movie. There's some... Excellent. Most triumphant lines in this movie. Oh, man. It's hard to think of all of them. One of my favorites is when Bill thinks that Ted is dead and that he's just been killed by this knight back in medieval England. And another guy comes in the room and he goes, You killed Ted, you medieval dickweed! <laughs> one, of the, one of the best lines. Two, I'd never pick this up until we watched it tonight. Another line I love is <laughs> when they first when they get to medieval England, they get there, they put on like knight armor, and they pick up some swords. He's like, and Ted's like, <laughs> "Hey, Bill, I'm Darth Ted," uh, and he like swings his sword, and then Bill picks up a sword and he goes, <laughs> "And I'm Luke, Bill." <laughs> And they fight, which is so good. And I never thought about it till Luke, you said... Yeah. Uh, Why didn't you say Bill Skywalker? It just <laughs> killed me. Luke, Luke Bill. Bill. <laughs> Genius. And it's so perfect for the characters yeah, that I, I love that. It's great. So that's another one of my favorites. Do you have a third favorite line? Man, there's just so many. Oh, one of my favorites is when they're sitting outside the Circle K and Ted comes over and he's like... <laughs> hey. That lady in that car over there <laughs> said that Marco Polo was in 1275. And Bill's like, I knew it wasn't just a water sport. <laughs> it's so good. It is really funny. And Nick, then the, the classic strange things are afoot at the Circle K. Right. It's a great yeah, one. Yeah. A little cliche at this point. It's right. been said. Nick, I want to know your three biggest problems with the movie. Oh, no. I feel like Jeez. that's way more likely to be And then be once you, you finish have. with your third, you can get the f*** out. <laughs> <laughs> so, like two right off the bat, okay. the teacher doesn't tell them until the final exam is there that they're about to fail the class. I right. feel like they should know that ahead of time. Uh, this is the problem this is I have an too. Teacher over and the here. fact that they don't know that because he says to them, "You have failed every section of this course, but still somehow, if you pass this one test, <laughs> yeah, yeah, you can pass the class." And then the dad getting a call from the principal. Like the principal's not going to call about a kid who's failing. It's funny. The, I noticed the same thing too. Happen? The principal called and told me you're failing history. Yes. And it's just like, well, oh, yeah, that's right. Why would the teacher go tell the principal to call the dad? And how did all of that happen in oh, like, yeah, that 20 minute drive home? And how does the dad already not know that his kid's an idiot in, in academics? Because you guys all think he's, he's smart and he's stuff. He's wise. So, wise. You're right. <laughs> he's academically behind. Like, they should know that by their senior year. Right? Yeah. So, do we know that they're seniors? I think they are. I've always thought that, but I watched it tonight and they never say anything about graduating. It's just about Maybe, passing. Yeah, they may be. I think they're seniors. I feel like the dad should know. So, here's my problem with that. If they're seniors, then him failing doesn't get him sent to boarding school. Yeah. Oh, true. Because he would be starting boarding school later. Right. Yeah. I think they're like sophomores. 
Yeah, they might. Because I think Missy, I mean Mom, uh-huh. is only one year out of high school. She's cute. Yeah. I think this is the year after Maybe she when I asked her to prom. <laughs> Shut up, Ted. We're going to come back and talk about I Missy. Did we think will definitely that... be talking about Missy. <laughs> I mean, Mom. I did think that dynamic was fantastic. Yeah, that's a genius thing. That... I would also say I read the writer initially imagined that Bill and Ted were 14-year-old dorky little scrawny dudes. And that when they cast Keanu Reeves and uh, Alex Winter, he was like, oh, these guys are too cool. They had to change. So hmm. he said 14-year-old. That's what he imagined. So they're, hmm. they they must have been written as freshman or sophomore. They, they're, they're not like, freshmen because he talks about she was a senior. Missy, I mean, mom she was a senior, was a were, senior when they were freshmen. That's right. I don't think graduation is on the line. I think boarding yeah. school is on the line in the movie. So okay, so you have a third problem with the movie? No, I just I, we got to talk about Rufus. Let's talk about Rufus. Does George yeah. Carlin just with every single line he says in that movie exude just this? I want to kill myself yeah, right now. Uh, I feel terrible. So Aaron, you're an actor. I would be mortified to be Rufus in this film, which I've never thought of. Yeah. until you said that. Well, especially in the scene with Keanu Reeves and Alex Winter, just like having a blast, being just ridiculous, and you have to be the straight guy that's like. Party on, dudes. But you got to say it in a way that's like... <laughs> Ironic, yeah. I'm just like, give me a break. And So the, if you were offered in the next installment... I would be Rufus. I would absolutely be Rufus. <laughs> in fact, and I told Luke this earlier, Nick, you don't know this. This is how big of a fan I am of this franchise. <laughs> They're making a third one. Yes, that's correct. I looked up the production company and emailed them to find out how I could audition for any part in it. Because this is how much I love... It's just a part of me. Now, you say that you're a fan of the franchise. Yeah. Are you a fan of the films, or are you a fan of the franchise? Because the franchise also includes the animated series that came on in the 90s, Yeah. and the live-action series that took place over the summer of 1992. I'm a fan, yep. Even when I factor in the live series. I don't like the live series, but I will remain true to the fact that I am a fan of all of it. If the live-action series came out now and it was shit, I would watch every episode. (laughs) But I wanted to say, talking about George Carlin. Right. May he rest in peace. This could not be further from George Carlin, I feel oh, like. Oh, for sure. And there's a scene at the end where he, he's doing a guitar solo. And I'm picturing just like, since I became an actor, since I started acting, I always picture like what it was like on set mm-hmm. in every scene that I'm watching. And I'm imagining him doing that stank <laughs> guitar face. Because he's not playing that solo, but he's do- <laughs> he's doing that guitar stank face, you know? And the guys and the princesses are standing next to him watching him do this. And I'm thinking, that must have been so weird on set. These are guys who have air guitared through the entire movie. Are you I sure know. it was uncomfortable for them? I know, I but it. they're watching George Carlin do it, right? That is weird. Yeah, that's true. So let's talk then real quick about Missy. I mean, Mom. Yeah. Oh, yeah. She's cute, though. So the premise here is that we've got this girl who has a, is a recent graduate of the high school that Bill and Ted are, are students at, who has married Bill's father. Mm-hmm. And become Bill's stepmother. Right. And so he, he <laughs> constantly catches her, himself yeah. like looking down her shirt. Yeah, or, yeah. He calls her Missy and then he's like, I mean, mom. <laughs> throughout the whole thing. And what kills me even more is like Ted is constantly catching him, just staring at her and going, <laughs> she's your mom, dude. <laughs> it's so good. Again, it's just the kind of thing that just wouldn't happen in a film today. No. 
even a silly like ridiculous. Oh, and the best is when the dad comes in. He's so <laughs> and he plays it so perfectly when he walks in the room. He's like, "Hey guys," he's so dorky, and you know this is a dad who's in the middle of a midlife crisis for sure. Because he married like, a girl right out of high school, and they're telling him their problems about how they're failing history, uh-huh. and he's like. Uh-huh. Yeah, that sounds great. Go buy some And snacks. she's made them snacks that are like burned grilled cheese. <laughs> Which is actually really clever right. direction, I think. Right. There's yeah, it's just like little this details. subtle little detail. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And even the detail between with the stepmom and the dad uh, just kills me. Yeah. Um, but she fine. Okay, so I want to kind of wrap this segment up by asking you to rate the movie. So I'm going to ask you, Nick, we'll go with you first. On a scale of Alaskan Military School to San Dimas High School football, how would you rate how well this movie holds up for you? Um, Seeing Napoleon's butt crack in the Waterloo scene. Okay, Napoleon's... Butt crack. We see a little more than Napoleon's butt crack <laughs> so, in, the, in that. We don't want to go there. We I'm had a really interesting bad. experience when we were watching it. In that, Aaron, you were <laughs> trying to convince us that at some point in this scene we will see Napoleon's. all of Napoleon's penis. Yeah, I could have sworn. And I still like. We should watch it again. Yeah, I swear <laughs> I have seen, seen his entire full-on penis. <laughs> when we watched it now. All we got was full bush, but <laughs> we did get, we definitely got butt crack. And it was weird that he's like talking to little kids. Yes, and he's he's like, like surrounded by kids yeah. in this water park. Wearing like, 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 he looks like wearing like a, like the, like a nightgown. Yeah. It's, and it's <laughs> yes. white. And so let me, let me say this. Why does he have nothing if underneath If you it? don't, if we don't in the, in the cut we just watched, see his penis, the fact <laughs> That you that remember saw, it that way is but, so strange. No, no, no. Yeah. But the fact that we see his entire ass through that white, you know, nightgown, underwear, the jammies he's wearing. It's, <laughs> and it's, we definitely see full bush when he's going down the slide. Let's me know that on set, when he's running around picking up kids and talking to kids, his full penis was visible through the nightgown. I mean, there really is no arguing. That has to be true. So that is to say that you you did not particularly care for them. You don't feel like it held up well. I do. Did I you think... enjoy yourself when you watched it? I enjoyed sitting next to people who did enjoy it. Okay. Yeah, I get that. Like, I have a friend that won't watch Goonies. He never watched it as a kid. And you're still friends with him. No, no. He never watched it as a kid, and he won't watch it now because he knows that without that nostalgia factor, he probably won't I like it. can't imagine that that's true. I love it to this day. Of course. Can, can watch it anytime. But how much of that is from the nostalgia factor? None of it for me. That's a great movie. Yeah, it is a great movie. I, <laughs> I agree. Mean, we can go watch it right now if you can like. We, can we please? Yes. And let's talk about it. Okay, so Nick, you don't feel like it held up. Aaron... On a scale of Alaska Military School to San Dimas High School football, how did you rate? I mean, how well the movie holds the up. The greatest way I can describe it is San Dimas High School football rules. So the top of the scale. Top of the scale. I mean, I would go past the top of the scale. That's how much I like. So far as to make saints of Bill and Ted. I would make say? them saints. Yeah, I would. I would start a church in their in their name, <laughs> the Holy Church of Saint Bill and Saint Ted. Which of is Saint this Demons. is not ironically this is not the first time I've heard you say that. I'm gonna come off like a crazy person in this. 
It's fine. That's fine. You oh, keep I'm not that, worried. But yeah. make sure you keep this little disclaimer at the end. I am uh, I am a giant fan of this. I have texted Luke in the past about starting a church <laughs> in the name of Bill and Ted, St. Bill and St. Ted of San Dimas, where the only two tenets of our faith are be excellent to each other and party on dudes. I think those are that you cannot get better in life, and that's what makes these two guys wise. And I'm a huge fan of all of it. I think it's a great movie. Yeah. I'm so glad we got to relive it on this segment. We'll have you guys back again soon to talk about other 1989 yeah. nostalgic things. Can't wait. I really, really love both those guys and look forward to having each of them back on the show as often as possible. There were some other really funny moments and interesting Bill and Ted trivia that came up in our conversation but didn't make it into the final edit. But you can check those out by partnering with me at the Patreon link in the show notes for this episode. At some point in the middle of our chat, I had the idea of reaching out to Amy Stock, the actress who played Missy, I mean mom, in the Bill and Ted movies, to see if I could get a quick interview and hear a bit about what it was like on the set of the movie. And to my surprise, I was able to do that. So here's my interview with actress and now college professor, Dr. Amy Stock. Amy, welcome to 30 Pop. Thanks so much for being on today. You bet. Hi. So you played a pretty iconic character in a pretty iconic movie from my childhood, yeah. Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. You played Missy, I mean Mom. Yes. Yes, I did. So tell me, how did you land that role in particular? Because you'd already been acting for a while at that point, right? Yes. Actually, I had been on Days of Our Lives. I'd been a regular character on that. And then I did a lot of commercials in between. And I remember the audition for Bill and Ted really well. I read the script. I thought it was really cute. And I went in initially just, you know, not expecting anything like you do on a first call. And uh, the scene we read was the watering scene when the phone booth drops behind me with all of the historical figures getting out and where they introduce them to me. And that scene doesn't have a lot for me to say. <laughs> There's not a lot of lines in that. And it's mostly just reactions. And I played the scene and they were chuckling and they enjoyed it. And that was great. And I got a call back and I went back and I did the same scene, tried to do it a little differently. If you can do three lines differently. And they laughed more. It was great. Got another call back and another one. And another one, and then another one. I think I went back about six times. My goodness. For that little role, uh, which I guess was an unusual. I mean, Alex tells the story of how he and Keanu were like six months auditioning and eventually became best friends just because of the audition process. But for me, I have a very good reason for that is Missy's a bombshell, or was, and she's supposed to be very well endowed, shall we say, and I'm not. I wasn't as a young woman. And I think they were really looking for more actresses, body types, huh. not to be so gross about it, but that's what it is. And I just didn't have the chest for it. And there were great chest jokes in there and I didn't have the chest for it, but the best part about it is all six times I went back, they laughed. They laughed at what I did. And that's why I got the part, I think, is because I was funny. And not saying that anybody else wasn't, but I guess I just charmed them. And I got the part. And I was very thrilled. That's amazing. So uh, did you guys have 
any idea at all how huge oh, no. the film would be at that point? <laughs> oh, no, not at all. It was on a shoestring budget. I did some of my own stunt driving in the station wagon for the first one. I had every star in the back of the station wagon, you know, we're hitting garbage cans trying to get them to the school on time for their report. And a friend of mine was off camera watching it and just praying that I didn't crash the car because I actually had every star in the film in my car. So we were kind of on a shoestring budget. It, it just, it no, I mean, the first movie was just so much fun and None of us were anybody, and we were just having a lot of fun together. We were on location in Tempe for a while together, and every weekend the guys, the crew, and uh, some of the cast would play basketball. And uh, I remember my dad and my mom came to visit out from Ohio, and they came to the set where we were in Tempe. And on that Sunday, my dad, being an old basketball coach for many years, stepped in and he started playing basketball with them. And I have this great photograph of my dad trying to take a shot with Keanu running past him. (laughs) So, Oh, my gosh. It's such a great little memory. But boy, that first one was just it was charming and small and special. And I think that's why, because none of us really realized it was going to do anything other than be a cute little movie. And then it sat on the shelf in DEG because they went bankrupt. It sat in their vault for two years. And Orion came and won, I guess, a settlement from DEG. And they were allowed to go into the vault and take anything. And so they picked up Bill and Ted's and threw it together and threw it out there. Two years later, we had all thought, you know, oh, well, it's dead. It's not going to do anything. And then out it comes. And it's a major hit for Orion Pictures. And it was just so fun to have that cute little film turn into an iconic film. So so you say that none of you were anybody yet, but George Carlin was on set. I mean, obviously he wouldn't oh, have been well, in the station yeah. wagon. He was, you know, he was massive already at that point. What was it like working with him? Uh, unfortunately, he did all of his scenes before I got to location. Oh, so okay. I never got to work with him and I never got to meet him. And he was one of my favorite comics ever growing up. And I was very disappointed that he had already finished and was gone by the time I got there. Yeah. So is there any chance that we'll see you reprise the role of Missy in Bill and Ted Face the Music? I don't know yet. There's been hints and suggestions, but I have not been contacted officially. So I am just going to keep that option open. I hope so. Yeah. That would be a riot. I, you know, I'm not... When I really originally shot the part, I was 28 years old and I was playing Missy as a 19 year old stepmom. Mm -hmm. And that was shot 32 years ago. So I guess that's why I really love the premise of Face the Music. It's the guys middle aged and not having done anything yet to fulfill their destiny. So that already opens the door for an older Missy mom to come in and be who I am, who I'm an older woman now, and I'm damn proud of that. Sorry, yeah. I swear a lot now, too, because oh, you're that fine. comes with getting old. <laughs> but I've been through a lot in my life. I've done a lot. I, I earned a PhD in theater history and theory. I teach. I act. I do all kinds of things. And, and to negate that by having me try to be the bombshell I was is just silly. So I don't think that's I, – I have no idea about the part – I think it will be very interesting for me to explore Missy as an older woman. I think that would be really fun. (laughs) That's awesome. So you teach acting now, right? I teach, yes, I teach acting for the camera at AMDA, but I also teach a lot of critical studies classes like mythology and restoration comedy. My specialty is 19th century American, 
And then I created a class called Women Writers of Theater and Literature, where we're exploring the lost narratives of female writers in, throughout history and how can we change that and create new narratives for women, stronger narratives for women going forward. So that is amazing. I teach that. And I also teach a critical writing class at the New York Film Academy as well. Well, awesome. Well, thank you so much for being a part of the show. And we hope to see you next year as Missy once again. That would be great. Thank you so much. Awesome. Thank you so much, Amy. Friends, I think that does it for the inaugural episode of 30 Pop. We'll be back next week with a really fun episode about some of the late 80s biggest pop stars. In the meantime, I'd love for you to follow and tag the show on social media. We are at 30 Pop on Twitter and Facebook and at 30 Pop Podcast on Instagram. The very best thing you can do, though, is help spread the word about the show. Tell a friend or all your friends and rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, etc. As I mentioned earlier in the show, you can also get access to outtakes, deleted scenes, and all kinds of other bonus content from this and other Milieu Media Group shows for as little as $1 a month by clicking on the Patreon link in the show notes for this episode. Huge thanks to my current patrons, to Aaron Hale, Nick Willard, Dr. Amy Stock, and my dear mother, Becky Brauner, for being a part of this episode. We'll be back next week, but until then, for me and Bobby Brown, don't be cruel. 30 Pop is produced, edited, and mixed by me, Luke Prawner. Our artwork is by the amazing Heather Hale. To check out more shows from Milieu Media Group, visit milieumedia.com, which is linked in the show notes for this episode. And if you have a story from 1989 that you want to share on the air, email 30poppodcast at gmail.com. <laughs>